All right, school is out. The Patriots offseason is over. Minicamp has been cut short for, I think, the first time in the Bill Belichick era, if not definitely years. Uh, he's thrown out the OTA schedule for next week. He's fired up his boat, 72 or 52 rings or whatever it's called. And we are putting on episode number 10 of Pat's Interference. Couple of firsts today. Traditionally, I have an intro. Then we go into a guest. Then we close out with a mailbag. I'll be honest, I do not have the energy or the focus working on three and a half hours of sleep for any of that. So we have brought on Jeff Howe as the first time guest to return to the podcast and the first time supervisor slash guest for me here today, because uh, I am groggy, a few thousand words in Patriots practice yesterday, and it was incredibly fortunate and grateful to cover the Celtics in game three last night and come home with a win. So the price was sleep, and I paid it, and now baby Jeff will pay his own price for giving me some time and uh, carrying the load here. So how are you, bud? Doing great, man. Go take a nap. We'll uh, we'll we'll get this thing going from over here. Yeah, I also have an ad read. Uh, Bet online, AG. In case you hadn't heard, I'm not going to say that now, but just you know, give me like a nod as we as we speak here via Zoom in case I forget. Um, but anyway, Bill Belichick cancels practice. Like I mentioned, you've covered the team since what? 09 or 010? Yeah, or, 09. Oh, oh, 010. Do you hear me already going like that? And there goes my. I would phone. say 010 too. That's perfectly fine. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, so, yeah, first time reward for a strong offseason, as you put it, OTAs being canceled after minicamp is not necessarily new, but um, anything there stand out to you? I mean, obviously being kind of a, the first time they canceled a real substantial mandatory practice. Uh, no, I mean, it's it, I've heard uh, for months now that they're really happy with the way that the players have been working, you know, a lot of dedication and the team has been largely healthy. I mean, a few bumps and bruises, James White, obviously still coming back. Uh, from his surgery, but you know, they've, they, their attendance during the voluntary portion of it, aside from basically Isaiah Wynn and Matt Judon uh, from, you know, sitting out of the voluntary stuff has been pretty strong and they're happy with the progress that they've made. So, you know, Belichick takes the, he's done this before. I can't remember if uh, he's done mini camp, the finale of mini camp at all, but you know, as you mentioned, he's, he's canceled some OTAs in the past, but this is a uh, a pretty long stretch, so I think he's kind of rewarding the players and and telling them, hey, we'll see you in training camp. Yeah, and I'll see you in Nantucket, where he'll be presumably for the next four or five weeks, which, you know, if you had to be four or five weeks somewhere in July, New England, in late June, that would be a good spot. Um, looking back, we only got to look at two OTA practices, which was really one and a half, right? Like that second practice, there's a lot of running in the middle. It's very strange. The offense, in any form, never went against the defense. So we have one and a half OTAs. Two pretty solid minicamp practices. And before we dive into, you know, anything substantial, I think a couple people have been following along would, would expect us to talk about what was the most interesting thing you saw that doesn't have to be important or impactful or interesting to anybody else, but just kind of had your eye. I thought it was interesting watching Mac Jones finish up the first minicamp practice, spent an extra 45 minutes on the fields uh, after the, the practice had ended. And we've seen him stay after practice uh, quite a bit, of course, but he closed down that first minicamp practice by, you know, he threw probably a hundred passes, but it wasn't the passes. It was, let's go through the footwork. It was different types of pocket movement, clearly something that he wanted to work on for an extensive period of time. And then just threw like a, a, a nonchalant, you know, casual pass just right over the middle, 15, 20 yards, whatever it was. And then he gets done with that. He, he worked on some deep to intermediate throws for just a few minutes and then told the staffers that he was working with that he was done or that they were done. And then he went to the, the far end zone and started doing more footwork, more pass drops. It was play action stuff. It was, you know, escaping a, a collapsing pocket, just kind of repeatedly going through more footwork. And then the, what I thought was really interesting 
And I don't remember Brady ever doing this. And I, I want to put this out there. I'm not saying because Brady never did this and Mac Jones did that. Whoa, he's on that trajectory. Careful, like, careful, Jeff. Put him again. No, I just I don't think I've ever seen Brady take the step of like going through an entire period or maybe the final two periods of practice. I mean, the Patriots have scripted the vast majority of their offensive plays before these practices have even started. It's all in the quarterback's wristbands. The coaches have the cards. They know what plays are coming up. And the final two rotations of 11 on 11s were a little sloppy. And it looked like, you know, based off of what Jones was doing, he started at about his own 15, 20 yard line, looked at his card on his wrist, went to where he thought the huddle, where the huddle would be, called out the play verbally, and then went to where the line of scrimmage would be, started making the checks, tapping the head, pointing, whatever, going through the cadence, you know, starting vocalizing some checks and then took a snap, you know, rolled out, whatever, did like a mock throw and then did it all the way over again. And that was it. And I thought it was just really interesting because we know that when he stays after practice, it's to work on something specific, something that he didn't like that day, or maybe he was planning on doing it anyway. But what very much appeared to be the final two periods of practice that didn't go the Patriots offense's way, uh, Mac Jones wanted to uh, go through it again himself. Yeah, he's a maniac. Let's just let's put it like that. <laughs> All of that well described and put in the purpose and the speculation like he's he's maniacal about his work. And you've seen that, you know, uh, more evidently, I think this year, because there's no questions about his standing in the locker room. And he even won over the locker room, of course, very quickly last year he becomes a starter. Now he's the starter coming in. He's not a rookie. He's the second year guy. He's telling receivers who are older than him, you need to do more of this. You need to be there. So let's just go into Mac Jones uh, because I think the other takeaway aside from the ownership he's taken of the offense, you could see very clearly through these two days, his deep ball was excellent. I mean, he had three long balls, particularly in the second practice, one to John Smith, another to Nelson Aguilar, a couple more to Trey Nixon, you know, over the course of two days. And the deep ball is exceptionally important because when you look specifically at his year last year, he was almost the epitome of average, which for a rookie quarterback is very good. But the area in which he struggled the most, aside from maybe mobility, was that deep passing game. I mean, he was bottom five in the league in terms of catchable pass rate, according to Sports Info Solutions. And that really hit a rough patch when they finished one and four down the stretch. So I don't know whether to put a ton of stock, a little bit of stock, or just a couple pennies in here with the deep passing game and the progression we've seen. But if that's real proof of progress, this is huge, not just for Mac, but the offense as a whole. Yeah. And that's something that the offense needs to start taking advantage of, you know, when, when as a rookie, you know, his arm strength is what it is. I mean, he doesn't have a Josh Allen or a Patrick Mahomes arm, but that's fine because he's so good at anticipating where the re uh, you know, where the routes are going to be. The, the first uh, corner route to Trey Nixon on, Tuesday, the first minicamp practice, I thought he was actually a little bit late on, but he still made a really good throw and Trey Nixon made a really good catch. But everything like you were saying on Wednesday during second practice was on the money. I mean, he made those throws really, really accurately and the decisions were there. And I think that was a continuation of a lot of his throws was, and we sit here and, and, and people can mock us for keeping these passing stats during minicamp. Look, I, I've done this for years and years and years a good mini camp quarterback is completing between 70 and 75% of his passes. Mac Jones was at 85%. Those numbers tell me that he had a damn good stretch there. And that's, he's not going to complete 85% of his passes in the regular season. Let's, you know, if we can pump the brakes, I think we can use, we can. Uh, it sounds like Twitter's got a little rent free space in your head early, which, which is very easy to go. But I, I, look, I'm with you and I, I don't have 
the longevity of the stats and keeping it back as far as you've covered the team. But you even just go to his, you know, accuracy rate. How often was he putting the ball on target? Because he had a couple drops mixed in there. I had him at 90%. And that was within even a smaller sample than you did just in terms of what are they going against first and second team? 90% accuracy rate is going to get it done. But just to bring it back to the, the, the deep ball here for a second, which obviously the rate on that is going to be much lower. In those periods, he was three of four on those deep balls. And the one that missed was a little bit late read, like you were saying, to Kendrick Bourne in another corner. So maybe he's just got that one route to kind of iron out the wrinkles. But it's it's a little bit quicker. It's a little bit stronger. I just, I'm just hesitant, you know? Like, he's not going to get sacked. There are no pads. There are no stakes or consequences. But if we're going to see a year two leap, this is going to be the area. Yeah, and it has to be. And again, I think we've seen the Patriots try to build their offense to be faster. And when you're going to have a faster offense, you're going to want to push the thing down the field. And, you know, the other thing is they did this without two of their best, I guess, under coverage uh, types of players and Hunter Henry and Jacoby Myers. And, you know, Kendrick Bourne missed a day and, and was kind of limited in the second day back. So he did this by you know taking the top off without even having that threat of going underneath as much as you probably would normally see him do when the offense is at full tilt. Yeah. Um, one thing on this too, because, you know, we can talk about the deep ball and, and it's obvious you want to have a deep ball. That, that's a good thing. You know, the ability to score so quickly, I think it speaks also larger to the offense where you can go back last year and to some degree, even 2019 and Brady's last year here, right. Where I see the Patriots offense as we're all watching the Celtics. It hit me covering game three, their offense for too long has been like a half court operation where you need everything to go right. And we're going to have these precise cuts and we're going to have these screens and these split actions and these different movements, a lot like the Warriors move. But of course, you don't have a player who can kind of create late in the shot clock, like these deep threats. They're counting in everything within 10 to 15 yards of the line of scrimmage. The addition of Taekwon Thornton, you know, someone like Nelson Aguilar, if he bounces back, even Devontae Parker, whose best season was in a Patriots-like system, that gives you some more dynamism that they've just been missing flatly since Gronk was here or prime Edelman that I think helps you not late in shot clock, but kind of third and seven, like Mac is not going to create plays or shots late in the shot clock with his mobility, but if he can throw it deep, that's the way to say, I'll step back to 30 feet and I'll throw it up and hit a three pointer or a third down pass. And we'll cover 40 yards like that, as opposed to having to do it over 10 or eight to 10 plays like that. That's the part where it changes the whole offense, not just, you know, we can score more points. It's we can come back now or we can score in bunches now, things that they just haven't done for now, basically three years. Yeah, and I think he made a throw to Devontae Parker down the field on Tuesday that was mm. like, I mean, we know why they got Devontae Parker, but like you see him make that throw and Parker make that contested catch down the right sideline, and it's like, that's why they got this guy. You know, you can throw up a 50-50 ball down the sideline, and, and Parker's going to have a really good chance of coming down with it. Kendrick Bourne, I think, is going to be able to open up some space down the field, too, just because he's such a crafty route runner. I think Hunter Henry, you know, we didn't see it because he's, he's dealing with some type of injury this, this spring. But, you know, I think their chemistry, not going to compare it to Gronk, but you can do some things where you, you push the seam uh, with a guy like Henry. And then, look, Jonu Smith, he had two nearly identical uh, catches on, on long over routes by that sideline this week. And, you know, if you can incorporate some of that, Nelson Aguilar, I think, has had better chemistry with Mac Jones than he had with any of the quarterbacks last offseason. So you know, you're seeing progress. And obviously not all of this stuff is going to come to fruition at the same time this season. And some of the things that we've seen this spring are kind of going to be a tease and it'll probably fizzle out. Uh, when the pads come on or when the regular season starts up. But, you know, if you start improving on a couple of these areas, 
that's going to make the offense a lot more dynamic. I'm still, you know, I'm not, I think Tyquan Thornton is going to be a slower development. I don't think he really showed anything uh, over the past couple of weeks during practice that makes you say, Oh my goodness. Now he did. He toasted. I think it was, uh, was it? I don't oh, want to Brian. say. Oh, Brian. Yes. Thank yeah. you. I was going to say the wrong corner. So I'm glad you, you, you <laughs> helped me there. And, and uh, Brian Hoyer like badly underthrew him probably just not used to the speed or whatever bad throw, whatever it was. Uh, that would have been a walk-in 60-yard touchdown. So the speed was evident there. I mean, he had a spot. <laughs> there was one point on Wednesday when Thornton subbed in and he had a one-on-one situation with Juwan Williams. And it's like, send him deep. Just I want to see what this speed looks like right here. Uh, and they ended up going with a different type of play. But, you know, I, I, I think when they start up training camp, one of the things that you're going to want to see is how they start to incorporate Thornton because we – I don't think we saw it over the past couple of weeks. No. And, and it's, you know, we'll get into the receivers in a second, but a couple of things on that. I think the the deep passing game that I've alluded to and we're discussing now is so fragile, right? Because you look at Aguilar and, and Parker, two of the three names I mentioned, injuries could take those guys out like this, you know, yeah. and then they're out of the picture that removes so much of your deep passing game. If Taekwon Thornton develops slowly as we both expect right now, particularly after a mini camp where there's no pads, there's no press coverage. He should be able to thrive there as a six foot two, 182 pound receiver, even learning this offense, which we know has been streamlined. And he didn't, he didn't exactly thrive. Whereas you have Jack Jones defensively has somewhat of a similar opportunity, a little less, you know, veteran depth chart uh, to climb a little bit, you know, less of a steep climb, but he's there with the starting defense the whole time. Tyquan Thornton wasn't there with the offense. So he's coming along, um, but we'll see. Cause again, it's just, it's very fragile. Like they need a lot of things to go right for the offense to change as much as we've been discussing. But as far as Mac goes, just to wrap with him, he was the first player that I think anyone was hearing or reporting about. They're very, very happy with Mac, like starting right in the off season. I, I mentioned this in the podcast before you go back to his last press conference of the season after the Buffalo loss, it was almost relief on his face. Like he was oddly upbeat about, I can finally take over the team. Now that's been evident since the end of January. Beyond that, they're happy with him. He's working his ass off. What more do we know just about his last four or five months? Well, he it really it came as advertised. I mean, this is a guy who, you know, when I wrote the, the post-draft feature about him a year ago, somebody was telling me how, you know, he, he had some people in town to visit. It was a Sunday morning. They're going to go out for breakfast. And, and, you know, they wake up and it's like, where's Mac? And somebody at his apartment was like, well, he's at the facility watching film. He goes at 530 every Sunday. And they're like, is he crazy? Like, like, no, that's actually, that's his favorite time to go because everybody else was out partying the night before and he was getting ready for a a Sunday morning film session by himself when it's quiet. So like we knew if he was going to fail in the NFL, it was not going to be for lack of trying a lack of effort. The guy's work ethic and dedication to the game is, is through the roof. Uh, So in that sense, it comes as advertised, but you know, he was, he was beating the coaches to work uh, a lot of the time is just again, so he could get there, watch extra film before workouts or practice or or even, you know, the team film session, whatever they had planned for that given day. And it's just, he's very easy to work with. He's collaborative. He's not afraid to tell the coaches what he likes. He's not afraid to tell the coaches, Hey, you know, it's like, you know, the, uh, the 2001, I think it was like the three games to glory or whatever, the Super Bowl uh, DVD that came out. 
half of our audience probably doesn't well, that, even know what that would have had to have been a vhs if we're talking 2001 <laughs> it might have been a vhs but like you got bledsoe and brady on the sideline and bledsoe's like what do you like all right what oh don't yes like, yeah it kind of reminds me of that scene where where mac is not afraid to tell people i don't like this play i don't think this suits you know the patriot the offensive strengths or, or conversely so this is uh he's taking ownership and uh it, it's 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 just interesting to see because i think you're seeing Almost as much as the passing accuracy, you're seeing total command of the offense. You're seeing confidence in his throws and his reads. And even if it is a tick late or, or whatever, you're seeing the anticipation. It's not a whole bunch of checkdowns. It's, you know, whether it's short throws, intermediate throws, or even the deep ball that we've talked a lot about, you know, he knows where he wants to go with the ball and he's not afraid to make a quick read. You know, there were, there was a stretch. Uh, I think it was like Tuesday when he completed two swing passes to a running back to the left on back uh, or on, on a span of three plays and it was seven on seven. You can say, Oh, well, you know, why are you going with that? He clearly saw something in the coverage that said this running back is going to get a chance to catch the ball in the flat and then gain, I don't know, five to seven yards, maybe more if he breaks the tackle in live action. And, you know, you're just taking the, the smart play because he knows where he wants to go with it. And he knows we're keeping passing stats. So that goes down as a completion, just like a dig over the middle of the sideline ball to Devontae Parker and 15 to 15 to start that day. Was that, am I right? Uh, 20 to 20. 20. Uh, oh, that's or, right. Yeah. Or an unnamed media member jinxed it. <laughs> yeah, said it out loud. All right, so that does it for Mac. Year two leap, as far as we can tell, he is spring-loaded to make that jump that we've been talking about for a while. We, we won't know until, you know, late August, September, October. Um, the receivers, though. Trey Nixon, congratulations on your induction to the Patriots Hall of Fame because these have been two of the best practices um, that we've seen from a receiver, frankly, in a, in a long time. Now, that context doesn't mean a whole lot because Patriots receivers uh, have been bad. But the positive here is not so much that this seventh round pick for me at a, at a Central Florida is going to be the star of this breakout player. He's certainly someone to watch come training camp. But I think his emergence signifies a depth at that position, which I've talked about before. It was so fragile last year. Kendrick Bourne misses every practice before the Titans game. Hey, you're going to play anyway on Sunday because we need you. It's just you, Jacoby Myers, and Nelson Aguilar, and that was it. So – are you more encouraged as I am about the receiver depth, not only just because of Nixon, who was in for Jacoby Myers, who missed most of virtually all of practice, plus Devontae Parker and perhaps a rebound? Or do you still need to see a whole lot more from this group? Well, I think two things are at play here. Number one, you have a potential number one boundary receiver in Parker. And I think that does a lot for the rest of the receivers because you can do a variety of things with Bourne and Aguilar and, and Myers. Uh, number two with that is, you know, Trey Nixon had a terrific week, but we've seen this before, you know, Bam Childress comes to mind dating myself once again during, you know, VHS DVD days, uh, guys who just come in and have a great spring. And then you put the pads on and it, you know, sort of fizzles out or, you know, you get the healthier veterans ahead of you. And now all of a sudden your, your opportunities become limited. Maybe the quarterback doesn't look your way. You have a few quiet practices in a row and then you get, you know, sent to the scout team, whatever it is, or you know what, maybe you're just not as good in pads as you made it look without the pads in the spring. And I'm not saying that's Trey Nixon, but it's happened so often that it's something you just have to keep in the back of your mind. Now, the route running was was legit. The speed is legit. The chemistry with Mac Jones is legit. So he's off to a good start. Another thing is that you have to give him credit for. He took advantage of an opportunity without Bourne and Myers in the rotation uh, for a good chunk of, of minicamp. 
Nikhil Harry didn't do that. He didn't even come close to doing that. So Trey Nixon jumping in and, and going above and beyond and, and taking advantage of an opportunity is something that you, you really like to see from any player at this time of the year. So he's created a, a lot of momentum for himself. Uh, the other part with that is, all right, you got as a seventh round pick, you don't have the luxury of having a bad August or, bad, you know, let's say the final two weeks before roster cuts. That happens. You're probably without a job. Maybe you get claimed on the waiver wire and you're out of town um, because you've got uh, Parker going to be on the team, Bourne going to be on the team, Aguilar. Uh, I mean, unless they find a trade partner, uh, not that they have to go that route or whatever, probably going to be on the team. Jacoby Myers, probably going to be on the team. Tyquan Thornton, clearly going to be on the team. That's five guys right there. So unless there's an injury or unless Trey Nixon has an absurdly productive August or, you know, they, they trade one of those top four guys, you know, excluding Thornton, it's going to be really hard for Trey Nixon or, or any underdog receiver to make the team. So that puts them in a tough spot. But I, again, all the credit in the world to Trey Nixon for having such a good week that you start to give the coaches something to think about as they get into August, because they have to continue to put them in these situations to see if it can carry over. Yeah. And I'm glad you trickled that cold water on the whole thing, because I, I meant to open with the caveat and all the qualifiers and everything that we, we understand. It was just two days of minicamp. And as I said before, two days of OTAs, which was really just one and a half practices. So all of that I think is baked into this conversation understood for people still angry about me joking about Trey Nixon making the Patriots hall of fame. I get it. I was there. I saw it. I wrote way too much about it. Um, let's wrap the receivers with Aguilar and Myers. Cause they're, they're very interesting. I think for two different reasons. And I've talked about Aguilar, I think more than anyone this offseason. season, I think he's going to bounce back, not in some sort of giant demonstrative, a thousand yard, you know, season way. But did you see anything different from him? He's leading the team in targets and team drills on Tuesday. He's active again on Wednesday. He did have a tough drop over the middle from what I remember and had the ball popped out by Jack Jones and another team period. But I think just the activity itself, even with Bourne, out for one day and, and Myers out for both is, is still encouraging for a guy who knows he's kind of got to prove it. He's in the last year of his deal. And you mentioned could be a, a trade candidate. I, I really, I liked the chemistry with Mac Jones because that was just totally non-existent with both Mac and Cam Newton last year during training camp. I mean, they were, it, it was almost like they told us, it was like they went into every day saying, you're just going to run a whole bunch of deep routes and, and you're putting a lot of stress on a rookie quarterback. And then, you know, a veteran who just doesn't have the deep ball in his game as much anymore. And, and they just, they never really got off the ground. You know, there, it was hard for them to establish or even continue any momentum on a day-to-day basis because everything was pushing it down the field. I thought there was a little more versatility to his routes. I mean, there was, you know, there was a play on Wednesday. I feel like it followed up something, but there was a really good, it might've been after a deep ball, whatever, a tough break. I don't remember what it was. There was a play Wednesday when he beat Jack Jones over the middle of the field. It might, Oh, it might've been right after the fumble. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When he beat Jack Jones over the middle of the field, just a, a short to intermediate type of crossing route. Uh, I think it was an under route and he had a step and then he kept running and, and it showed the compete level that he had. So this is a, a guy who is clearly playing with some fire, but it all comes back to the chemistry because he's, he can be a dangerous player with the ball in his hands. And the Patriots seem to be doing a much better job of finding, you know, that was one of the things that we've kind of heard over the past couple months. They're trying to find a better way to maximize Aguilar's strengths, Johnny Smith's strengths. And, and that stuff came to fruition this week. 
Yeah. And you know what chemistry is too? And it, it really just boils down to trust and comfort, right? Like, can I go play with you? Do I know where you're going to be? Are you reliable? And that was a comfort thing because of Max deep ball limitations. I talked about before Cam Newton's that you just hit on just wasn't there. It wasn't a great fit. And I think they utilized him honestly in the right way. It's just, you have to wait for the quarterback to catch up to you. If you're not going to be a player who can break tackles or go over the middle, which Nelson Aguilar sometimes just goes down. If he sneezed on hard enough, like that's just how it is when he's that light and that, that fast but with the way mac has developed that deep ball and the way they're continuing to deploy him you know on those deep overs or digs or goes or posts or whatever they are that's the right way because that's how he bounced back in las vegas um with Derek carr they just said screw the slot we're sticking you outside you're going downfield and having one of the highest average depth of targets in the league lo and behold breakout year lo and behold two-year 22 million dollar contract that now looks eh, but good for nelson aguilar Jacoby Myers, his contract is not even signed right now. He's on a one-year deal. We talked about this with him on Thursday just a couple of minutes ago as we record this. It sounds like he's been sitting out due to injury, though he says injury isn't a huge deal. Bottom line is he wants to be in New England. He wants an extension. I believe he's still with Drew Rosenhaus, who, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, if there's number one agent you want to sign a deal with the Patriots, you could be playing football or not. Call Drew Rosenhaus because of his relationship with Bill Belichick. Is there anything there beyond what I've just alluded to that, you know, you want to watch with Myers, who by all, you know, means and appearances is a guy who they can count on, they want to have here. But of course, it's got to be on their their terms when it comes to the new contract. Yeah, I just don't know where they're at in terms of uh, negotiating leverage. You know, what does Myers want to be paid? Where, where's his floor? Uh, we know what his ceiling probably is, but where's his floor? What's he willing to accept? And then on the other side, what are the Patriots willing to pay? Uh, it's a it's a really tough time for teams and wide receivers to come together to iron something out. We've seen uh, what wide receiver contracts have done this offseason. They're completely out of control. So I don't know what Myers is looking at and his agent is looking at in terms of, you know, my stats are comparable to this player who just signed for this or in the last year or so. Uh, so it's 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 a tough one to forecast. I, I think right now they're probably still very amicable. And like yeah. you said, Rosenhaus has a tremendous relationship with Belichick. So, you know, if there are two people who can come together and kind of figure this out, it's probably them. But, you know, I, I would expect nothing to really happen here until the end of July, maybe early August, before things really start to ramp up, because that's what the Patriots tend to do with their guys on expiring deals. Right. And, you know, guys they've wanted to extend in the past, late, late August, John Jones in 2019, another guy in last year's contract, Shaq Mason, um, happened in 2018, gets that extension. He's obviously gone, but it speaks to, you know, we'll go through camp preseason, see if you get hurt, see if someone gets hurt in another position. We'll just let this play out, which is what Bill does um, with a lot of different areas. The other thing to keep in mind, just the Jacoby Myers, if you're at home saying you want to be here, just sign the extension, just do whatever you want. It's not only that the receiver market has exploded. You look at guys like Russell Gage and even Christian Kirk and everyone's going at the Jaguars like what the it's <laughs> it's the cap is going to spike significantly in March. The TV revenue is coming in. We're past the pandemic for business purposes for the league. So you could see a jump, not just of 10 to 15 million, what we've seen in the past, but maybe 30, 40. And if you're Jacoby Myers or you're any receiver about to hit the market, wait, just wait for that jump. Say, we'll go into free agency, use that as some sort of leverage in return, but you might as well squeeze those extra dollars, especially if you're a guy like him in his prime who wants to make more money. Um, all right, on to the coaching staff. For all the folks at home going, how have you gone this long into a Patriots podcast about the offseason and not talked about who is calling plays? But first, 
from our folks at Bet Online AG. They continue to be the number one source for all your betting needs and sports information. Find all the latest developments. Celtics up two to one in the finals. What's up? Uh, including updated odds on those NBA playoffs, NHL Stanley Cup playoffs, fights, and even season futures. Major League Baseball right in the middle of their season. You can find odds there on players and teams. Bet Online is your continued source for all sports wagering needs, including your favorite Vegas casino and poker games and live in-game betting. Super easy to get started. CLNS50 is your promo code. What's that get you? A 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's CLNS50 at BetOnline AG via your laptop or mobile device. How was that? That was pretty good, right? Hey, fantastic. Couldn't have done it better myself. Well, fantastic is the only way we could describe your reporting before, what was it, Tuesday or Wednesday at minicamp, where you're saying, hey, Matt Patricia is the early favorite. And you know who was calling plays for every 11 on 11 period when it was good on good? Matt Patricia, a little walkie-talkie in his hand. It looked like he was trying to hide it as if he's kind of like someone in the corner, like Secret Service, and their, their earpiece went out. He he was calling plays, and Joe Judge was handling it in seven on sevens. So I, I, I'm frankly a little exhausted by my own approach to this topic, which has just been skepticism. These are two guys coming over to offense who haven't coached it in a very long time, aside from Joe Judge doing receivers. And just, you know what, despite that, let's just wait and see how it plays out because we don't know a whole lot about the offense, how it's going to work, both the players and the adjustments to the system. We've learned a little bit more about the system. Just do we have anything more to add now that it seems Matt Patricia, if this was a race, is a little bit ahead of Joe Judge to perhaps call plays, understanding, of course, we have a whole preseason and a whole training camp to go. I think it's just it's been so collaborative throughout the offseason that, you know, roles hadn't necessarily been defined. And, and right now, like the, the Belichick hasn't made this decision uh, that it's going to be Patricia. It's just, that's kind of how it's been feeling down in Foxborough. Like that's, that's probably the direction that it's going to go just on the, uh, the amount of responsibility, the workload that he's had, but, you know, they've gone into these practices saying, all right, this is going to be Joe judges period. This is going to be Matt Patricia's period. Uh, and so it's not like, you know, we were, I, w- I was with uh, a lot of you guys just saying like, Hey, it looks like it's going to be a run game, not going to be, but it looks like it's giving off the appearance. Patricia is a run game coordinator judge is a pass game coordinator. That's not going to be the case. It's just, uh, that's how they've sort of divvied it up. And then another thing I mentioned earlier, the, the majority of these offensive plays have been scripted before practice. So, you know, yeah. some of these play calls, it's like, you can have just about anybody do it. So there's, there's still a lot to be decided. I think it's, it's clearly going to happen. Like it's never going to be a situation where, you know, Patricia calls the run plays, judge calls the pass plays. That'd be pretty easy for defenses to figure out by the time the season starts. Can you imagine the, the, the delight on the jets face? If they suddenly see in the first quarter, alternating play callers and go, we've got them. It's taken 10 years. We finally got them again. Thank you, Matt, Patricia and Joe judge. Yeah, it's uh it's it's I mean it's an interesting storyline because it's something we've never seen in Foxborough before. But you know, I think that's the direction it's heading. And I, I would expect there to be a whole lot more clarity by the I mean, everybody in the press box in the preseason opener is gonna be, you know, eyeballing the sideline like Hawks. He'll probably throw them both in the booth or something like that yeah. and just be like, Yeah, try to figure it out now. Uh, we'll do it from the medical blue tent, the erected tent, just oh. <laughs> go in there, both of you, and we'll have a little people to watch out. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's too much because, like, you know, it's the run game, pass game coordinator thing is another example. And, and let's get kind of inside baseball here really quickly, and then we'll bounce out and go to defense. You know, the, the beat is so large and it's so competitive and it's so talented here. 
And we are fed so little, not complaining, by an organization that, you know, just says, we'll keep them in the dark and we'll feed them bleep. And so in that vacuum of it's our job to know and report, we'll talk to some people within the organization, but any little tidbit or idea like a run game passing and coordinator setup suddenly gains some steam. And then there's some sort of group thing kind of occasion to fill the void of what's going on. What do we have an answer? And that's how it kind of gains that momentum. But underneath all of that hot air and talk and discussion is some form of reality. And once you get to it, as you did, it's just, that's not the case. It makes sense, but like we have to fill the time with the theories. That was something that looked fair to me. And I think would be smart in terms of divvying up all the responsibility Josh McDaniels had. Joe Judd, your strength is in the passing game. Matt Patricia, you're working with the old line. But the truth is, as you just said, that's not the case. Yeah. Basically. Oh. Awesome. <laughs> all right. Uh, I mentioned the streamlined offense. It's Comments from players, and certainly not Belichick, have said the terminologies pared down, dumbed down. That seems to be established. The concepts are similar. They're trying to get them to play faster. I think this is wise, considering this is an offense that just built out and out and out and out and out for years with Tom Brady and Josh McDaniels and then pared down for Cam Newton. Um, does that interest you more? And you got to pick one here, and then we're going to move on. Or Isaiah Wynn and Trent Brown switching spots at left and right tackle? Oh, boy, that was a bigger story. Uh, I think the the topic of uh, the offensive play call, the offensive terminology is interesting because it's something that I think the fan base has sort of been calling for for years, especially toward the end of Brady's tenure here, because it was so hard for outsiders to come in and pick it up, whether they were rookies or free agent additions or trade acquisitions. Uh, it was a lot of, you know, Brady and McDaniels had gotten so smart within the system that it was their system. You either had to pick it up or, or they were going to leave you behind. And right now, this is a good opportunity for them to reset with the, the coaching changes on the offensive side. Obviously, a younger quarterback. You've got some younger, you got some new additions at wide receiver and, and tight end from a year ago. So it was, hey, rather than, you know, forcing these guys to just memorize a whole bunch of terminology that means absolutely nothing to them, they started to figure out, hey, word association. This word is going to make you think of this route or this play or whatever, and it's going to make a whole lot more sense. It's going to be easier for, for guys to come in and kind of figure it out and be on the same page. But the the whole tackle situation, I think, is a bigger story. Oh, I, had, I needed you to pick one. All right, give me, give me three oh, okay. seconds. Do, you, oh, uh, Do it. So they went into this offseason knowing that Isaiah Wynn was not going to be there for the voluntary workouts. So they said this is a good opportunity to move Trent Brown to the left side just to give him a better feel for it. He hasn't done it in a while. Isaiah Wynn, more probable than not, going to miss some time during the regular season. Who knows? Maybe they do set himself up to be a trade piece. Uh, it hasn't been decided at this point. But to see it happen two days in a row where Wynn was at right tackle tells me that this is among the short on the, on the short list of storylines to watch going into training camp because he's a guy who I thought struggled last year. I mean, he's got a good reputation around the league, uh, would be a valuable trade piece. But moving him to right tackle mitigates the risk of losing him for a large stretch of the season if if Trent Brown stays healthy. And I can tell you this, too. I don't know if I've said this on the pod yet um, or in a different interview or different space. They were considering moving Win to guard for the sake of a big ticket tackle that they spoke with in free agency and or considered via trade. So <laughs> the idea of Isaiah Wynn not being their left tackle has kind of percolated in that front office for a long time be it they don't think he's, his play is up to snuff there, or my theory as far as this 
Trent Brown going to the left side is yes, okay, Isaiah Wynn's not going to be here. Trent Brown practiced in OTAs last year at left tackle very briefly and then didn't go back again. Maybe they're just splitting up the 350 pound Mike Onwenu next to the 380 pound Trent Brown and saying, we'll split those because we don't want to be so predictable in third and short where some of these games are won. And you know, we're going to go behind the right side where defenses will load up. But um, I'm with you. Top three, top five, whatever top storyline to watch heading into training camp. Okay, defense. Uh, we're going to kind of skim through the front seven because at least in my opinion, we can't speak a whole lot to the defensive line or linebackers without pads. They were doing pass rush drills. They were often on a far field through, you know, special teams units. So we couldn't really get a good look at it. We'll hit on linebackers in the mailbag, specifically the inside group. To me, the most interesting position far and away is corner. Jalen Mills, Terrence Mitchell, and Jack Jones stuck with the starting group. They were the only corners to do that through two days in minicamp. What did we learn, if anything, about them or this kind of position as a whole? I really like Jack Jones. I mean, he uh, he showed me a lot. And, you know, yeah, of course, he's going to get beat. He's going to have some issues. He's a rookie cornerback. But the coaches have seen enough to match him up against some of the Patriots' best receivers. And he held his own. He's a, He competes his tail off, uh, forcing a fumble on Aguilar. He had uh, an interception on, I think it was a scout team period, broke up a couple passes, has a playing style that is somewhat reminiscent of J.C. Jackson. And somebody I think has the ability to really grow and develop and become a good player in this defense. Uh, I'm curious to see what happens with Malcolm Butler. Uh, I, I've i been told that they are really happy with his offseason, but they've continued to rotate a number of players at cornerback. And, you know, we'll see where it all shakes out. So I, I thought going into minicamp, you were going to see a lot more of Butler as kind of like that number one guy. But We've also seen the Patriots rotate cornerbacks yeah. a lot uh, in past off seasons. And, and I can't remember if I was talking to you or if it was somebody else, but it was like, yeah, they would rotate these guys, but you knew that Stefan Gilmore and JC Jackson were going to be their number one and number two. So it didn't matter if they were running with the starters in any given mini camp or training camp right now. We don't know. We don't know who is going to be there. You know, John Jones is probably going to be their top slot corner again. Jalen Mills, I think, has done enough uh, over the last year to, to warrant the, the being a favorite to be a starting boundary corner or at least a starting caliber player in that defensive backfield. Where's the next spot going to come from? Is it going to be Mitchell? Is it going to be Jack Jones? Is it going to be Malcolm Butler? I think it's an open competition. Yeah, and Jack Jones, I think, of the three guys I mentioned, Mills, Mitchell, and Jones, who stuck with that starting defense, is the one where you can say, okay, this is most notable. Because like you said in the past, they, they rotate a lot of guys. But that's a rookie. It wasn't like we're going to try you out and bounce you back out like they did with Sean Wade or Joan Williams. And, you know, Marcus Jones wasn't participating because he had a red knot contact jersey. But I'm with you. He's a guy that had your attention. He's making plays. It doesn't take a whole lot of study just to see this guy is very sticky in man coverage. The one thing about Jack Jones, though, is similar to Taekwon Thornton and Trey Nixon, I want to see him with pads on because he's about a buck 75 and, you know, he's an older player. So I don't know how much there's left to kind of fill out that frame. How can he hold up physically? I mean, he fell, you know, well, he didn't fall. They took him in the fourth round. He's expected to be a sixth and seventh round pick. Part of that was off field issues, but you know, there's also just a concern about long-term potential. And if they get immediate returns, that's great. That's what they're banking on with this fourth round pick. But I just, you want to see that physicality, in real live versus seven on sevens or 11 on 11s where you can only take so much, but early returns given his status within the defense and the plays that he made um, very, very positive. Now negative 
for me, this is far and away the most concerning position on the roster. It, it's not just the weight of the position, which you could argue is the second most important behind quarterback, maybe edge rusher or receiver, but just you're kind of a fourth round rookie as good as he looks. Terrence Mitchell's a journeyman. Jalen Mills was playing out of position last year. Malcolm Butler, welcome back. Thank you for being here. You're on the wrong side of 30 and took last year off. It's, is there a close second for this? No, that's totally fair. I think more than, in my opinion, more than finding a, a particular position to be concerned about, I think it's the defense as a whole. Just because they're younger, there's been some turnover. You know, Matt Judon and Josh Uche, I think, present a fascinating one-two combo on the edge. But, like, if they start to test their depth, if they have some injuries, where's the pass rush going to come from? Uh, the front seven, I mean, it's I, I think the inside linebackers, yeah, Bentley is, you know, a popular player in Foxborough, had a really good season last year. But, you know, how are the, how is this defense going to make enough strides to limit Buffalo and to catch Buffalo? Or is that just completely off the table? So, yeah, I mean, there's apps. I agree with you that there are absolutely some concerns or, or question marks at minimum at the cornerback position. You know, safety is a strong suit, but how is this defense as a whole going to be enough to compete for a division championship? I, I just think that is a, a, a major, major concern. And I'll be curious too. We talk about paring down the offense. Do they try to um, counterbalance the lack of talent you have clearly at corner with we'll expand schematically. Like we'll probably lean into a little bit more zone like did it over the second half of last season, but we've got a farm out and edge somehow. Can we confuse you a little bit more? Are we going to play different defenses week to week understanding? We just can't line up and play man on man because we didn't have an answer for Stefan Diggs last year when JC Jackson was here and leading the league in interceptions. We sure as hell don't have one right now. And now Tyree kills in the division. The Jets have reloaded up as much as Zach Wilson may or may not be able to get them the ball. But it's, it's just, it's tougher. So I'm wondering if Belichick, he's been super hands-on with the offense. Do they get a little bit more creative with the defense saying, I mean, at this point, what do we have to lose? Because right now we're kind of in a losing position anyway, just going down our roster versus everyone else in the division. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thought. And the, you know, possibly going away from the man coverage where they've been, uh, if not the top, among the top man coverage teams over the last several years. Uh, I mean, it's an interesting development because, and, you know, I'll back it up a second. I still think that letting J.C. Jackson go was absolutely the right move. I thought, like you said, Stephon Diggs continuously beating Jackson in their matchups, you know, giving Jackson all that money wasn't necessarily going to get you over the top to beat Buffalo because Diggs has gotten the better of those one-on-one -on -one matchups. So it, it doesn't make cornerback any less concerning without Jackson. Of course, that's going to be an area of concern. Like we've, you know, been – beating that drum uh, for the last few minutes. But, you know, the, the, the idea of disguising is it, it's a good one, but do you have, you know, with the amount of new bodies on defense, are you going to be able to pull that off? It, it could lead to a very troublesome September, those first four weeks when you've got the new personnel. As talented as that personnel in the past has been, you know, they still go through a massive learning curve in September. So what's it going to look like out of the gate? Yeah, it'll depend a lot on those safeties, right? You know, McCordy, Phillips, Duggar, Jabril Peppers coming in, similar system with the Giants the last couple of years. Jalen Mills, you probably feel comfortable with. But Jack Jones there, some young inside linebackers, like they all have to be, you know, tied to the same string and move in the same area. Otherwise, you're going to have an open hole or blow your own disguise if one person's sticking out. But all right, moving on, two more things. Uh, mailbag and then the top three players you want to see in training camp. I have two rookies 
So I'm going to start with the non-rookie because we might have some overlap here. Reminder Stevenson is in here for me because we talk about year two leap and Mac Jones and how is he going to look and all these different receivers, guys who didn't play last year, Cameron McGrone. Reminder Stevenson played as a rookie and he was awesome. And I want to see what that guy can do when he was already breaking more tackles and showing more creativity with his running style than Damian Harris. When he gets a full offseason there and his feet are as light as anybody, if he can hold up in pass protection, he was telling us this offseason he worked to be a better third down back. Like, I think that guy might be more talented than their number one back. Damian Harris is probably a top 10 running back in the league. And now you might have the best one-two punch in the league, depending if Stevenson can stay healthy and is on this kind of upward trajectory that we expect. I asked somebody uh, not too long ago, who is, who, who's impressing you this offseason? Ramondre Stevenson was the first name that they mentioned. So, yeah, I mean, he's, he, he could have a fascinating type of breakout year and their running backs are going to be a strong suit. They have to be their, their ground game has to be really good for a number of reasons. Number one, you want to keep that. You want to keep the stress off of the defense. You certainly don't want to get in any shootouts uh, with the way the AFC is kind of stacked right now. So, yeah, I mean, Stevenson should be, should be a really fun one to watch him and Harris. And then, you know, we'll see. Uh, what happened those those two rookies uh, I think have some intrigue to them too I, I don't think either one of them did a whole lot not that you would expect to see a lot out of a rookie at this uh, out of a running back at this juncture of the offseason uh, of, of OTAs and minicamp anyway but yeah I'm, I'm with you on Stevenson was I supposed to give you other names uh, yeah I can buy you some time if you want uh, <laughs> we can be good teammates here my my other two like I said were rookies Tyquan Thornton, I don't think we have to say any reason why. The dude runs a 4-2-8. We want to see if he's bulked up. Can he hold up against press coverage? It's it's not going to be a linear training camp for him. It isn't for anybody. It's going to get ugly at some point. But are the flashes strong enough? Is, it, is the power of that small sample strong enough to go, we'll roll the dice because that one catch he's going to get is going to be a 60-yard touchdown, and that'll help us get over the Ravens or the Packers or the Steelers or Dolphins early on. And then Marcus Jones, who I alluded to and mentioned earlier, Wearing the red non-contact jersey, I talked to some people around Houston who said their feedback from the Patriots was he had the most impressive interview they've had in years. And he was a guy who stuck out as a future Patriot anyway. Sure, he's five foot eight, and the history of five foot eight corners in the league is not good, but he returns punts, he returns kicks, he plays that slot, he has a ton of experience in man-to-man. What is he gonna do? Because he hasn't returned anything so far this spring. I think he's gonna be fully healthy by training camp, and this could be a five foot eight piece of dynamite I think we threw most through most of the summer yeah I think there's a lot of reason like both Jones rookie cornerbacks uh I'll start off with I mean I'll go back to Isaiah Wynn I, I want to see how he looks at right tackle just really that storyline altogether I think is just really interesting if he plays right tackle I mean if they continue that trend in the training camp I think it's going to be really interesting because and, and you know conversely uh I, I think the Patriots are going to have a decision to make if all of a sudden, Haran and Trent Brown offer a comparable product to win in Trent Brown. Then you have to think to yourself, hey, this is a tradable asset. Everybody, every GM and executive I've talked to over the last several months around the league is which offensive lineman's available. Like they're all, every single team needs offensive linemen. So, you know, left tackles uh, become sort of a punching bag from the fan base. I understand it when they get beat for a sack, like the heat's on them. And and sometimes when the quarterback gets hit in blindside, it looks ugly and you want to blame somebody for that. Uh, You know, Wynn was very up and down last year, but if all of a sudden the Patriots are like, Hey, you know what? Haran is a starting caliber tackle. 
they're willing to roll the dice on the depth just to try to get a future asset or a more immediate asset than potentially losing him a year from now in free agency and getting a comp pick in 24. You know, I, I think that's somebody who could be had for a Friday pick. Uh, so where is the performance there? And again, is there a drop off between the starters and, and that second wave? I mean, I don't know if the Patriots should be overly encouraged or optimistic about could just like last year, I thought was kind of like the make or break year for them. And, and I, I, you, you come, you watch the team a whole lot more closely than I did. The, the, the opportunities I saw, I don't think he stuck, stuck out too much. He was like a cracked windshield. Like he, he wasn't made or broken. It was like someone's still driving because they can at that point. Like yeah. he's one of the last guys on the roster. Like, that's, that's not going to hold up long-term. Please keep that in the garage. But when he was out there, like it was, Okay. Yeah. Uh, he, he's also a guy, not to interrupt you further, but he's pretty much limited from what we see into left tackle, right? Like I haven't missed many snaps of him at right tackle where Haran is your swing guy. And Haran also got a couple snaps at right guard, which look, this is the time for experimentation. Build your depth, as Belichick has said, dismissing every question about Isaiah Wynn. But to me, the right guard snaps don't have so much to do with Haran. Can he play guard? It's does that mean Mike Onwenu could play right tackle if Isaiah Wynn is dealt and you feel more comfortable helping her on the inside because I'm one who's played right tackle and, and been successful at it. Yeah, that's like a really interesting point because it's like, I, I feel like uh one who had a, a tremendous rookie season at right tackle and it feels like, and again, I, I kind of stepped away from the team after training camp to, to handle my newer role. It, it feels like they're just completely unwilling to play him out there again. And so it's like, what am I missing? Was he, did I think he was better than the coaches did? But I mean, there's, they certainly know more about it than I do, but like, what are we missing there? And you know, what are, you also kind of snuck it in there that they were talking to a big name left tackle. And I have my guesses as to who that is. Um, but uh, so that shows, I mean, obviously if, if my guess is correct, I mean, it's a very clear talent upgrade and, and you'd be foolish not to, you know, explore that Avenue. Uh, but that just shows that they are considering the the contingency plan or the future without Isaiah Wynn or even Trent Brown before they, they brought him back. However, that timeline ended up working out. But um, then, you know, another one that I'll, I'll point out, and, and this is a guy that I think uh, as media members, we've probably hyped to an absurd extent over the last couple of years is Josh Uche. You know, Kyle Van Noy is gone. And Uche has Uche, – Uche has – the talent that could get him paid uh, a ton, a ton, like life-changing, like generational family, generations of families are, are going to reap the rewards of, of uh, you know, how much money he could earn on the football field because he's that good of a pass rusher. It's just, he's kind of gotten nicked up. He hasn't had a chance to consistently do it. And, you know, what, what is his potential, especially across from Judon? I mean, Judon's going to get the offense's attention, the blocking attention. How can Uche capitalize off of that? They're going to find ways to get him over the middle of the offensive line too, I think, in some sub formations. So Uche could be a really fun player to watch. If he stays healthy, you know, it'd be nice for him to stay healthy so like all the readers and fan bases can appreciate what we've kind of been seeing yeah, and hyping yeah. up over the last two years. I said this with uh, with Fitzy last week. I, I can't quit Josh Uche. I will not quit Josh Uche. He is coming for a third-year breakout. He is going to destroy their joint practices with the Raiders and the Panthers 
And I had a third year breakout in high school and frankly, maybe college too, in a very different sense in academic. And I'll leave it at that. But Josh Uche is coming because you know what? If he doesn't, there's no backups. It seems the cavalry is out to lunch. Like there's Ronnie Perkins is great. The guy took a red shirt. Josh Uche didn't do that. And you've got a bunch of other edge guys, you know, Dietrich to eyes. Okay. Henry Anderson, eh. you know, it's just, he's got to do it. And I, I, I said, again, to Fitzy, I talked to someone who was like, what are they doing with him? You know, like they traded up for that guy. We had him right in that same spot on our board. What is going on? And you could, we could have a longer conversation about the development of those Ed guys, Winovich, Ronnie Perkins, Josh Uche, you know, the book's not closed in that the ink is not dry, but they, I think they got to do a better job with him. And I, I'm, I'm still confident they'll find a way to get him on the field. And I think that's probably why they didn't address edge you know, more seriously, because they, they too believe in him and feel some responsibility for him not breaking out as we were so close to seeing I, my bold prediction was 10 sacks last year. You know, I was closer as close to 10 sacks as Josh Uche was last season. <laughs> well, you mentioned the late bloomer thing. Like he was a late bloomer in high school. He was yeah. a late bloomer in college. It basically took him until his junior year of high school to become a starting player, despite being you know a pretty good player, despite undersized in high school. And same for at Michigan. And I think there was an early injury situation for him at Michigan, but like they also had a, a ton of talent in their front seven, but you know, he was a guy that they knew had a ton of potential and eventually he got there. It was year three for him. This isn't, this isn't blind faith. You know, I think like when we're sitting here in 2020 or 2021, you kind of give like a guy like Nikhil Harry, the benefit of the doubt, you say, all right, well, he was a first round pick. They saw something. There, some, that was a little more did. blind faith. Everything us, that we've seen some from of us <laughs> has been real. I yeah. swear it is. You're right. You're right. You're right. I, I was lower on Nikhil Harry, I think, uh, than most and very soon. And I, I don't say that because I feel like it's worn out. It's just, you know, sometimes I could talk about the power of a sample. If it's really bad or you're playing pickup hoops and someone comes in and scores 10 points in two minutes, that dude can hoop. Okay. And Josh Uche in the small sample we've seen is enough to say, he might be able to rush and play because he just he's he's crushed too many. Again, they're, they're training camp practices or their early snaps. But I mean, he he's there. Just 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 make it work. Um, your last one real quick and then we'll get to the mailbag. I don't really have a last one. <laughs> OK, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we spend enough time on Win and Uche. Um, Hunter Henry. He's too big. Uh, you know what? Let's do another hype guy because this will lead into our, our first mailbag question. Cameron McGrone. He ran with the scout team defense. Maybe it means a whole lot. Maybe it doesn't. But they built a train. They laid out the tracks. They hired a conductor. It was 10 cars long. And all the Patriots defensive staff were in that train all offseason saying, we can't wait to see Cameron McGrone. When we see him, he's not even with the starting defense. So maybe that changes. Maybe it doesn't. But um, we'll see. He did have a pass breakup in minicamp uh, for what I had. So Cameron McGrone, number three. All right. First question. Um, how are the linebackers looking? Well, Cameron McGrone with the scout team. <laughs> Looks fine, but the guys at the starting unit are Jawan Bentley and Rayquan McMillan, and I think there's kind of a veteran comfort there. McMillan had a good camp last year, and I think you know he would have come down from you know he he kind of peaks and tears his ACL. Like he he's never been strong in coverage, but he always profiled even going back to college when Bill Belichick told him, "Hey, I was watching you at Ohio State as a Patriots downhill kind of inside linebacker." Beyond Bentley being Bentley and McMillan standing next to him with Mac Wilson taking some snaps. What else did you see from the inside guys, if anything? No, I, I think you covered it. I, I think that's certainly a concern. You know, you're mixing in at minimum one new player. 
uh, who didn't have a sizable role last year. I'm curious what they have in store for Jabril Peppers because he's mm. still working his way back from last season. You know, are you going to give him more of an uh, Adrian Phillips type of role? Like, I'm just not sure. I'm just throwing stuff against the wall here. I'm curious how they handle that position. I think they've got some intrigue and sub packages. I'm curious what happens, like who steps up. You know, maybe it is McMillan, and he got off to a pretty decent start last summer. But, like, who steps up when they need to stop the run in that second level? Yeah. Uh, that question came from Furio Dunucci. Uh, Furio is making me smile because I am rewatching The Sopranos, and it is outstanding. Uh, he also had another question. Are they doing anything different with Johnny Smith to make him more involved? I don't think we can say just yet because Hunter Henry didn't participate in team periods. So the snaps that Johnny Smith got to an extent are Hunter Henry's. He was borrowing them. And you want to see, are they going to go more 12 personnel, maybe as an H-back? I don't think John Smith is built to be an H-back, frankly. I mean, he is 6'3". It's about the height you would want to top out as a fullback. But he just doesn't have that physicality, like, I'm going to kill you coming through the B-gap approach. And that's fine. I just, Tennessee used him very creatively. And he had a couple good years there. The Patriots used him in similar ways. I think he's just going to be better and the involvement is going to be similar. Maybe I missed something. It's it's totally possible, but I, I didn't see anything totally different from his usage this spring. I thought it was uh, as more of a traditional tight end than last year. You know, yeah. they tried all these creative ways to get him the ball last year during practice. And, and you saw some of it during the season, not as much. Uh, but it was like, you know, after training camp, we're all sitting there saying, they're going to find a million ways to get Johnny Smith the ball. And he might touch the thing a hundred times this season, including, you know, carries or whatever. Uh, and obviously that just didn't happen. So what we saw over the last couple of weeks, I think it just looked more like a traditional tight end, but it could be to your point. Uh, he could have just been taking Hunter Henry's role. Um, another one on Jack Jones. This has come from at it's up with the Z and uh, that makes me think that handle was written in like 1999 though Twitter obviously was not around. Uh, what are the chances Jack Jones will start at outside corner this season? Let's give him a percentage. Mine is going to be 33% because the way I see it, Jalen Mills put him in there, and then it comes down to Malcolm Butler, Jack Jones, or Terrence Mitchell on the other side. So one of those three would win that spot. I would say 40% mm-hmm. that he starts, uh, I would say a substantial amount of games, minimum of six. 100% he starts at least one game. Wow, I like it. Okay. Last one at Patriots home is he still is this has been a rough few months for him. Uh, is there any viable justification? That's a quote for trading Shaq Mason now after free agency and the draft. Um, I have some thoughts, but you're the guest, you're the supervisor. Go ahead. Uh, I still don't really understand it. I mean, like I understand making moves to alleviate some cap issues. I just, I don't understand trading a really good veteran offensive lineman. I think they'd be better off if he were on their team right now. Yeah, it's, it's hard to argue otherwise. I think the, the, the trade, of course, is as much about um, Shaq Mason as, you know, what you could get in return from him. And that sounds obvious. It's how trades work. You give something up, you get something back. What they got back was a fifth round pick and some cap relief. And then it goes, okay, what do you do with that extra cap room? And part of it was they were up against the cap at that point. And I think I, I'm with you. I, I, I don't like the move, um, but I think we've almost swung too far in the other direction where people are calling Shaq Mason the best player in this offense. 
which congrats, the offense wasn't that good last year. And, and it's skewed partly because of the great work that the folks at PFF do, where for offensive linemen, that's usually our best and most effective metric. I, I cite it all the time. However, the way they weigh their metrics are, are weighted more heavily towards good run blockers because the way they grade pass protection is just you either get a zero because you did your job or a minus. Like there, there's not a whole lot of extra points in pass protection, whereas you can get a plus two or a plus 1.5 or whatever they do for run blocking. So Jack Mason, very good run blocker. The problem is the value within that position, playing right guard, which people in analytics or film or with teams or in the media will tell you, like you can help a bad guard much better than a tackle or even a center. So you can, you're just not going to get that much in return for even a Shaq Mason who, you know, didn't make a pro bowl, very good run blocker at a position like right guard. Now the choice to take a guard in the first round because you created a hole on your own and then had to fill it, I think is bad process, but Shaq Mason being the best player in that offense and being a run blocking right guard, like they felt that they were dealing from surplus with Mike Onwenu being able to step in right away and we'll find somebody else. I think what may have surprised them is that they lost Ted Karras in the process, even though uh, as you reported, and I confirmed they lowered their offer to Ted that that's where the problem with Mason is, is in the bigger picture. It's not, not in a vacuum to me. It's more of, they didn't care, take care of business elsewhere along the offensive line. And it became a bigger issue. Yeah. I mean, that line is going to be even, I, I, they're going to take on more of a burden than they did last year. Last year they were, they got off to a slow start, but they were really, really good down the stretch. I thought, uh, although maybe I, I, didn't watch them closely enough to know if they were part of the drop-off over the last five or six games or not. But I mean, when they were winning, they were playing outstanding football. And then you take away two of those starters with Mason and Karras. You got Strange in there. Of course, I mean, Awanu could be, you know, he he's going to be good, I think, no matter where he plays. But you lose some of that depth. You know, I mentioned how much teams around the league want offensive line help, but you need to win the game. You need to win games this season by running the ball really well. And your number one priority this year anywhere is making sure that Mac Jones continues to progress and, and take sizable steps in the right direction to becoming that franchise quarterback, which I think is he's well on his way to doing uh, if he's not already there, whatever semantics. But um, you don't want Mac Jones to take on more of a beating than necessary as he's trying to become a better player. Yeah. And I, I think, again, there's some stuff we didn't even touch on at this point. It, it's kind of old news. I think they probably felt they were selling high, right? Like he had a couple years left in the contract. I think he's 28. He's a better run blocker than pass protector. Like they were willing to extend for Joe Tooney. Joe Tooney's a much better pass protector than, than Shaq Mason is. Shaq Mason's not a bad pass protector, but that's where the value is in that position. And if they felt like you can get the same amount of production or performance from Mike Onwenu at a much lower cost, which I think they do considering what they did, um, then that's the move that they made. So that's about it. I'm happy that we're looking forward, man. The off season is behind us. Like I said, school is out. Um, no more practices, no more press conferences. Bill is really very happy about that. We have a couple more Celtics games. Um, what are you, what are you doing for break? You going anywhere far this summer? Uh, I've got, we've got a family trip. Uh, we've got, you know, I've got uh, some, a little more work to carry me through the next week or two. I have to, I have a feature coming out next week that I, I can't wait for the world to see. Not really a Patriot story, but uh, I, I think a human interest story, of course. And then uh, trying to figure out where I'm going to training camp. I mean, I've got to take, uh, I'm going to be a stranger to my family. I'm probably going to be taken off for a couple of weeks and then come back for the golf fights, cancer uh, mm -hmm. marathon on August 5th, and then take off for probably another week. So 
uh, it's going to be a good opportunity to get out on the road and meet some people. But yeah, I'm going to be spending the next two weeks basically figuring that out. How about you? I love the idea of a training camp tour. Can we get you a bus? Can we get you a small bus or a van or anything that just says like Jeff is driving by you as you zip through the country from camp to camp? I definitely need a bus. My, you know what? I, I've, I've got a, an in-law who has a, who has a bus. I need to mm. get him up and then get like, you know, the artwork and everything, you know, any yeah. artists. Yeah. We'll just put your best tweets on the side too, just to make people laugh. And it will just be like dick joke after dick joke. And, dick <laughs> jokes, and then just have everyone's slowing behind you just to read it and watch and hopefully not cause a crash. But if you need a driver, uh, I'll be there so long as the Patriots are somewhere along the way. Well, Jeff, I really appreciate you coming on the first returning guest to Pat's interference, Tepin episodes in. If you like what you heard, find us on iTunes. I've said this before, anywhere you get your podcasts, hit the review, hit the rating. It does us a lot of good uh, next week. Six bold predictions from six different writers. Jeff is not among them. We're not going to see him for a while for reasons he just mentioned. Uh, So until then, man, appreciate you. Of course. Thanks for having me.